Hello guys and welcome back to another sesh with Siraj. This is your host, as always, Siraj Zafar. I hope you're all having a good day. Hope you're all safe. Today we're going to be talking about the coronavirus. I'm sure you all know what it is. I'm sure you've all heard a lot about it in the news by now. But today we're going to be taking a little more in-depth look into what it is, how it spreads, what the symptoms are, what the government and the CDC and these various other scientists and scientific laboratories are doing to combat this and how you can kind of stay safe. I guess it's more of an in-depth look to everyone that's not familiar and to the people who know what it is but would like to learn more. So let's get right into it. Around January of 2020 this year, we've been seeing a start of coronavirus uh, cases starting in Wuhan, China, where it originated and started to spread. Now, the people in Wuhan, China, the authorities, after discovering its contagious potential, as in the fact that it's very easy to spread, put the city on lockdown. And when the city was on lockdown, they ensured no one was outside and the people that were outside were checked via thermometers that are like infrared thermometers, where they can just scan your forehead and see if you have a fever or not. And they use that to test if anyone was showing any symptoms because the fever is a very big symptom of the coronavirus. Uh, and they use that to kind of minimize the people who had who had the virus from giving it to others. Now, the problem with this was that they were too late. The coronavirus had spread to many other countries. People carrying it had been traveling all over the world. And cases started to show up in Italy, America, all over the world, basically. And that's when the real international panic set in, right? People were getting worried that, you know, it's going to come to them. But it still wasn't that big of a deal for most people. Come March, so after like two months, here in Ontario, in Canada, where I live, universities, stores, schools, everything started to close. People were beginning to take this a lot more seriously. And it's been crazy since then. Right now, I'm talking to you guys in May, and we're still in quarantine. We don't see an end to this yet. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. Right now, there's, it's all just speculation. At the point right now, there's almost 4,260,000 cases around the world, with America leading the number of cases by 1,370,000. After that comes Russia with 232,000. But as you can see, that is a very big leap. America right now is suffering the brunt of uh, the forces of the coronavirus. But many other countries like Italy, where the majority of the population is above uh, 65 years old, they did see a lot of fatalities. They did see a massive, massive outbreak. And we've, we've seen that this is very serious and that we need to take this seriously. So let me tell you a little bit more about what the coronavirus is, or COVID-19, I should call it, as its formal scientific name. Let me tell you what it is. So the COVID-19 is a coronavirus, as you all know. Coronaviruses are a type of virus. They usually start from animals, from what I understand, and then they spread to humans from those animals. Now, not a lot of them uh, can cause diseases, and most of them just cause mild illness. But some of them, as we've seen in the past, have actually caused problems for humanity as well. An example of that is SARS, which had an outbreak from, I believe, 2002 to 2004. It started in China as well, and I believe the Foshan region, where it really kind of broke out and took the world by storm as well. But it was contained. It didn't spread like the coronavirus does, and it was a lot easier to control, uh, contain. 
Uh, Canada, I believe, only had around 470 cases in total. Another example of a coronavirus that was pretty scary was the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS. MERS started out in 2012 in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia, and it had small, like, small clusters and large outbreaks of cases between 2012 to 2015, in the middle of it, with over a thousand cases over the world and 400 deaths. Now, when you think of that, that's not really, not really anything compared to the coronavirus or COVID-19 right now. But this isn't the first time humanity has dealt with pandemics. We go through these all the time, but only some of them have an effect like the coronavirus. An example of that is the Spanish flu. The, the Spanish flu started almost a century ago in 1918, and it was one of the deadliest pandemics in history. And it affected around 500 million people worldwide, about a third of the planet's population at the time. And then it killed an estimated 20 million to 50 million. And that also included 675,000 Americans. But that's a small number compared to the other countries that were dealing with it. Whereas you look at the COVID-19 right now, a fourth of all the cases worldwide are American cases. So it really makes you think what was going on and how they dealt with it and how we dealt with it. Right. I mean, America, not we. But the, the Spanish flu started in 1918 and I believe it went up to 1920. Yeah, so the Spanish flu started in 1918 and went up to 1920. And interestingly enough, it was one of the major reasons why Spain didn't have an influence in the First World War. Because they were dealing with this pandemic, which was killing a lot of their population. And it was really deadly for everyone involved. So yeah, we've, we've been through pandemics before. We've dealt with them. They came up with vaccines then. And hopefully we'll come up with them now. So let me tell you a little bit more of the coronavirus, what its symptoms are. Now, the problem that I see with the coronavirus, that what makes it so deadly and annoying, is that it has an incubatory period of 14 days. Now, what does that mean? That means that for 14 days, or within 14 days, you will see some symptoms. But another way to see that is that if you have the coronavirus, it may take up to 14 days for you to think that you have coronavirus, but in the meantime, you will still be able to spread it and infect other people as well. So that's one of the things that I guess is really deadly about the coronavirus, where you don't even know it, but you can still spread it. That's why when, you, when you're back from foreign travel or any travel at all, governments around the world are advising people to stay at home for at least 14 days, stay away from everyone, unless you don't see any symptoms, until you don't see any symptoms. Within the 14 days, you're going to notice any variety of the symptoms, namely coughing, fever, uh, difficulty in breathing. Sometimes it can evolve to pneumonia and sore throats, muscle aches. Some people have mentioned a loss of the sense of taste or the sense of smell, which is very interesting. Uh, diarrhea, headaches, all this stuff. So if you notice any of these within the 14 days of coming back from somewhere while you're quarantined, then you should probably get tested because there's a chance that you do indeed have the coronavirus. Now, if you think you have, if you think you are indeed carrying COVID-19 and you think you are infected, there are many government tools around the world where you can kind of self-assess and figure out if you need to go to a doctor or you can call up your local hospitals or your clinics or whatever. Talk to healthcare professionals over there. They can help you assess as well. Right now, I would, 
I would not advise going to a hospital directly, even though hospitals do have very strict uh, containment procedures where it's very unlikely that if you do go to a hospital, you're going to catch it. But still, you do not want to risk that, in my opinion. I don't think that's something you should risk. So calling them, in my opinion, is better to figure out if you do have any, if you have a reason to worry. So with the pandemic, when we know that it's very contagious, uh, what we what the government has advised for us to do is to quarantine. Now, quarantine means that you try to stay at home, you minimize contact with other people, and you just minimize the spread of the disease. In case you have it, no one else gets it. In case someone else has it, you don't get it. Now, quarantine can be t- stressful, right? It's tough to isolate. It's tough to let go of every daily plan that you had. You know, it's tough to break out of that routine. But it is something necessary that we have to do to ensure that we can all stay safe and come out of this alive, right? Now, who's at risk of the coronavirus, right? We, we're hearing usually like the old people, people older than 60. And then we're hearing about these cases of younger people, you know, dying as well. So who is at risk of the coronavirus? Let me tell you. So the way the CDC has listed it in kind of a list format is people aged 65 years and older. Yeah. People who live in nursing homes or long-term care facilities because of the public environment or the nature of these facilities where you can't necessarily isolate at all. They're at risk. People with chronic lung diseases or moderate to severe asthma. The coronavirus is a lung or a respiratory disease, right? So people who have underlying conditions anyways, who have the conditions from before, are going to be at higher risk. Those with serious heart conditions, you should be really careful. Uh, people who are immunocompromised. Now, the interesting thing about the, the 1918 Spanish flu or the influenza was that it wasn't the people who were immunocompromised that were at a higher risk. It was the people with the normal strong immune system. Because that the Spanish flu influenza would cause the immune system to go into overdrive, right? It would make it work much, much harder, putting an immense burden on the human body, right? Now, the people who are immunocompromised, they could take that burden because their immune system were working at a, I guess, rate lower than the average person. But the normal people, they, they were completely fine. But then their immune system was going in overdrive and it was just fucking everyone up, right? Now, with this COVID-19, it's kind of the opposite. People with normal immune systems that are good don't have to worry as much as the people who are immunocompromised. I'm not saying that if your immune system is perfect, you still can't get it. You still can, right? But it's just that the people who have immunocompromised system are more likely to develop severe conditions and get a higher risk of... I don't, I, I, I don't know how to say this, but a higher risk of death, I guess. More people are people with severe obesity. Uh, if your body mass index or BMI is greater than or equal to 40, then you should probably just stay at home. Uh, diabetes, chronic kidney diseases, liver diseases. People with any of these conditions are at higher risk. And you should try to stay home, minimize contact with anyone that you know is going outside or putting themselves at risk because they can transfer it to you. And you should be very careful of that. So another question that a lot of people have is if I have, if I got COVID-19 and I've recovered from it, uh, am I safe? Uh, Do I have to worry about it again? The answer is we don't know. We don't know enough yet. Uh, The COVID-19 is a new 
disease at the moment. We don't know if you can become reinfected. There's people saying that they've been reinfected. We don't know the extent of it. There's a lot of news going on. You know, it's hard to kind of tell what the reality of the situation is at the moment. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about vaccines. People are eager, anxious for the release of a vaccine so we can get over with this pandemic, you know, until this blows over when we're ready to combat it, you know? Uh, the thing about vaccines is they're very complex, right? They're very complicated in nature and they, they take time to develop. And the problem with it is sometimes vaccines will work. They will eliminate the problem, but they will give you side effects, creating new problems for new complications. So it's very hard and very complicated to kind of develop a vaccine, especially in such a short time frame. Now, when you're developing a vaccine, you typically go through four trials uh, documented by the CDC, right? It's different for other countries. I'm familiar with the CDC method. Phase one is you start to introduce it into the human population. You have small test groups. You give one half of the test group the actual vaccine, the other half a placebo or another vaccine that works on something else. And you see if it's working. And then you also observe the side effects, see if there's anything to worry about. And then they just keep going on and on on more human volunteers. And as long as there's no complications, then usually it's ready to be released to the public. Now, there's a lot of laboratories around the world working on it. We have one in Saskatchewan in Canada working on it. There's there's some in Germany. Uh, basically, every laboratory in the world that can is trying to get a cure for this. They're trying to figure this out. They're trying to get a vaccine. Now, an interesting piece of news that I heard that is making me very hopeful about this is... Wait, let me preface this. Usually with vaccines, as I said, the four phases... They take time to document, right? It's not going to be two or three weeks and then boom, you have a vaccine, right? It takes months and months of hard work and rigorous testing to figure out if this vaccine is safe for the public, right? It can last anywhere from, I believe, 14 months to two years, right? So these things are dealt with a high level of caution and they're really, really taken seriously. But... Uh, in Oxford University in England, the Jenner Institute had a group of scientists who were working on a vaccine for an earlier coronavirus that was harmless to humans. Now, they realized after testing that it is actually effective against the coronavirus as well, the COVID-19 virus. So they have a little head start. I believe they're past phase one. And hopefully now they're going to be able to develop a vaccine pretty fast. The Oxford scientists, uh, I quote, now say that with an emergency approval from regulators, the first few million doses of their vaccine could be available by September, at least several months ahead of any of the other announced efforts. So yeah, hopefully September 2020, we can see a vaccine uh, coming from Oxford to kind of help us out, figure this whole stuff out. And uh, hopefully, you know, everything works out. Uh, just wish them the best of luck, I guess. There are other research groups all over the world trying to figure this out. But these are the guys that got a head start in it because of their other uh, research on the other coronavirus that was, like I said, harmless to humans. So we've talked about the symptoms a bit. We've talked about some of the history, what actually the coronavirus is. We've talked about some vaccines, what's going on over there, what to expect. Now, I'm going to talk about some myths around the coronavirus. 
misinformation as i see it is one of the biggest threats to the knowledge of humankind uh, in general in the age of information it's becoming harder and harder to filter out what's useful and real information and what's just some old whatsapp forward message whatever i still get messages from my parents these days that uh, eat turmeric eat onions and shit to help you with the fucking coronavirus and i'm like dude if, if that was working, why wouldn't the doctors be using that, right? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Although, although turmeric, I believe, is a anti-inflammatory uh, drug. Not a drug, but a chemical compound, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it might help, but not in the long scheme of things, right? So let's talk about the myths on the World Health Organization website. So first myth, there are currently no drugs licensed for the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. Not right now, but... A lot, a lot of people, a lot of groups are working day and night to figure this out, right? They're working on a lot of different drugs to figure out which one can help and which one can be the quickest. Some people say adding pepper to your soup or other meals can prevent or cure COVID-19. It can't. The best way to actually protect yourself is to wash your hands. Now, people say, you know, use sanitizer, or use your gloves, everything. The best way at the end of the day is to wash your hand for a good 20 seconds, sing row, row, row your boat, sing happy birthday, sing two verses of happy birthday, sing Mississippi 20 times. You know, anything you need to do, wash your hands and just stay away from people. I know it's hard, but it's kind of the reality we have to accept right now, right? People say COVID-19 is transmitted through house flies. That's not correct. There's no evidence or information for that. Uh, it's usually... The droplets, when someone coughs or sneezes or speaks, that's why a mask is important. It's not, so if you, without coronavirus, are wearing a mask, you only have, I believe, a 5% chance of not catching it. The main reason why we're encouraged to wear masks is that if you do uh, have COVID-19 and you're carrying it, a mask is really going to limit how much of it goes on into the public, right? If you cough while wearing a mask, going to kind of filter out the COVID-19 particles from getting out into the air. So it's it's very helpful in the in the containment side of things. And like I said, COVID-19 is not transmitted through house, house flies. My favorite one, uh, spraying and introducing bleach or another disinfectant into your body will protect you against COVID-19. That might be the dumbest thing I've ever said. Uh, don't drink bleach, folks. Uh, don't eat Tide Pods either. That's just fucking dumb. At this point, it's kind of a natural selection, maybe. Maybe that's what God wants us to do. Stay safe, guys. Don't don't drink bleach. That's fucking dumb, okay? Uh, bleach is just going to fuck other stuff up. It's not going to remove the coronavirus from you. Same for methanol, ethanol, alcohol. None of that stuff's going to cure the coronavirus. Oh, 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 my bad. Maybe my new favorite. 5G causes coronavirus. Might be the most dumb thing i've ever heard these are the same people who believe in flat earth and chemtrails and shit uh they say the viruses are caused by 5d but these people also lack basic understanding of physics right when physics in 5g is transmitted using radio waves and mobile networks right uh viruses just can't travel on that all right next one exposing yourself to the sun or temperatures higher than 25 degrees celsius prevents the coronavirus uh you can still get it no matter how cold it is we're seeing snow in may in canada up north 
uh, and people are still getting it. Unfortunately, it would be great if that was the truth. I'd go back to Pakistan, you know, chill for a few months, let this whole thing blow over, come back. But unfortunately, it's not. Next one. You can recover from the coronavirus. Catching the new coronavirus means you will have it for life. No, that's not true. Most of the people who catch COVID-19 will actually recover from it. And it's it's just a few minority of people that are actually going to have life-threatening conditions because of it. And that's, that's just the way it works with uh, illnesses like these. But the fatality rate of the coronavirus right now at the moment is actually, I would say, very minimal compared to the actual cases. So like I said, the number of cases is around 4,260,000 around the world and the global deaths are around 290,000. So if we just do some quick maths, right? 4,200,000 divided by 290,000. That is around 14%. Okay, that is that <laughs> that's a bit higher <laughs> than I expected. My bad. So around so according to that statistic, uh, out of every 100 people that get COVID-19, 14 of them uh, are more likely to die. All right. Now, that's statistics, you know, doesn't mean that out of every 100, if you're like, if 98 of them are okay and two of them are not, you're definitely going to die. It's just the way statistics work. Okay. Uh, it's just a way for us to kind of comprehend the effect of the coronavirus. All right. Back to some myths. Being able to hold your breath for 10 seconds or more without coughing or feeling discomfort means you are free from the coronavirus or any other lung disease. Nope. I wish it was that easy. Uh, we have a huge shortage of tests. And if that was true, that would have been great. But unfortunately, it's not. Uh, not for any lung disease. If it was that simple, you know, the, the world would be much better place, but it's not. Uh, the best way is to call people and call the healthcare professionals relevant to the actual the problem and ask them if you actually need a test and then go do a real test. Next myth. Are hand dryers effective in killing the new coronavirus? Nope. Like I said, the heat and humidity does not work on this virus, so the hand dryers wouldn't work either. Uh, just wash your hands, folks. UV lamps can be used to disinfect hands or other areas of the, the skin. They can. Uh, I don't know if it's going to kill the coronavirus, but it can also really fuck up your skin by causing irritation and damaging your eyes. And if you want to do that, just fucking wash your hands. I don't I don't get it. Uh, it's easier. Just just wash your hands. God damn it. There's so much more myths and I think they're all just dumb. They're not even worth talking about. So I feel like do your research, guys. Check out the website. A lot of misinformation is being spread around the world, and it's really a tough time that we're living through, but I like to think of it as living through history. This is a time that if you survive, you're going to be telling your grandchildren about, about. and it's really kind of eye-opening about how integrated society is uh, over, like all over the world. This virus that showed up in China is now closing stores in Canada, right? And it's crazy how much we've become reliant on others, right? We've realized how important healthcare workers are. We've realized how important minimum wage workers are, right? And it also kind of shows us a side of society that we tend to ignore or tend to not want to think about, right? And that's the, the capitalistic side. 
like governments all around the world, like uh, America and Brazil, are risking the lives of their population to protect the stock market and protect these huge corporations. And it's honestly a sad sight to see. But I hope that after this is all done, people won't forget about it. And uh, people will still continue and remember what it was like for the average person who was working minimum wage uh, during the coronavirus. Canada, thankfully, is doing a great job, in my opinion. Uh, they've released an emergency response benefit where they're helping the average person. There's a whole list of criteria. If you go and meet that, go apply for CERB. Uh, you get $2,000 a month, and it's really helpful for a lot of Canadians and a lot of other governments, I feel like, should follow suit. Now, the problem with coronavirus is this isn't just another illness. Quarantine has caused almost, almost everything to shut down, and the economic repercussions for this are going to be seen throughout the years. Uh, the prices of oil went negative for the first time in U.S. history. That was really shocking. Apparently, the storage areas for the oil barrels, I guess, were overflowing. They were full. And it was time for people to buy their new contracts or to... The people who would have the contracts would have the oil shipped out to them. Now, because almost everyone's oil storage room was full, they decided, you know, we're going to sell it. And as more and more people sell, try to sell it, uh, the demand went almost zero. And essentially, people were paying uh, others to just come and take the oil off their hands. And it went into, I believe, negative $40 per barrel for the first time in U.S. history. Crazy to think about. This is crazy stuff, guys. We're living through history and we're just walking around it. And it feels like just a minor inconvenience. Well, to to some people out there, at least. So stay safe. Try to keep yourself occupied. Try not to have your stress. Call up your old friends. Talk to people you haven't talked to in a while. Dig up those old picture albums in your attic Play those video games from your childhood. Just do stuff that you wouldn't have the time to otherwise. Because look at the bright side. You have a whole fuck ton of time. And me personally, I don't know what to do with do with it. And I apologize for kind of disappearing for a while. Uh, school and just general, I guess, procrastination kind of caught up with me. But I am going to try to be as much... I'm going to be much more on schedule now. And hopefully every other day you're going to have a new episode. So like it, share with all your friends, uh, give me a five-star rating if you enjoyed the episode. It would really help me out a lot. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. This was your host, Sirad Zephyr. I hope you all stay safe out there. Bye.